Hello. Hey, what's up? You're listening to Ergo Radio. I've never pronounced it that way. <laughs> Ergo. <laughs> to our, shout out to our French listeners out there. I'm Kiss. I'm Damon. And what we do here is showcase the folks reshaping culture for the more equitable and creative. How is your day, Damon? Oh, man, I'm, I'm weird, man. This has been a weird season, so <laughs> I don't want to lament my weirdness, but we have we are still in the midst of cold, Yeah. so we can center that. That is throwing everybody off, but it gave me an excuse to hide, which I would have been doing anyway. It's good to have an excuse sometimes. But I have an excuse now. How about you? You I, are... Wait, time out. Mm-hmm. So for those who've been listening... <laughs> <laughs> Over the years. <laughs> Daniel has pillaged Chicago around its fashion choices, and specifically like white winter Chicago. Mm-hmm. And I think he is like taking it up on, like he's like realized I got to put some skin in the game. If yeah, I'm gonna I mean, I got to talk claim. the talk, walk the walk. And you have become a fashionable winter <laughs> Chicago white man. <laughs> so, so what, what's what's up with that? How you feeling? So I got those uh, got those those boots. Leather. To, I'm gonna take a picture, put them up yeah, on our yeah, Instagram, yeah, yeah, just yeah. so people know what I'm working with. <laughs> uh, I got the like the like the rocker black jeans. Mm-hmm. I just feel like this cuff. is the next chapter of my life. Is how did I describe it? I described oh a spy on vacation. Right. This right. is the look I'm going right, for. Right, right. And I just think if I'm going to talk shit, it's just like with anything else. I got yeah, to I have to be providing Cuz it's not even like a it's radical high fashion, alternative, but you just have a very tight aesthetic and you're like these arctic temperatures are it, not going to slow you down. I did move from my fashionable coat to my less fashionable coat, uh, but warmer coat. So all right. we all make concessions, we make choices. You on the other hand I have, have gone a, the exact opposite way. <laughs> yeah, I used true. to like go to boutiques and like you know, wait for things to come out yeah. and like, nah. No, nah. you won't even wait for Jennifer a sandwich. Jennifer got me some fleeces from Marshalls and I'm going to wear two of them on top of each other. <laughs> Shout out to the <laughs> that is an interesting trajectory is that I think over the three years of this show, I've paid more attention to my clothes and you've paid less. Much less. And so. this is us. We are here now. And we are here with a, you know, someone who has been through all the waves and the pillars and the, the ups and downs of the Chicago hip hop scene for... A while now, yeah, ten uh, years in the game. We had a great conversation with the writer, DJ, and label co-owner of Closed Sessions, Alex Fructor. I first talked with Alex like way, way back in the day when we were in college. So it was good to, many years later, get a chance to sit down and, and kind of hear how he's envisioning the work that he's done and the role he plays in the city. Very exciting to be able to get into some of the lore of Morgan Park Academy. <laughs> We both attended the same high school at different times. People have been asking. And I never get to talk about my school. It, is re- it was really a weird experience for me. But we did get to get to the fact that I am the all-time greatest basketball player <laughs> working for Academy history. So, As get, Ricky get Henderson said the day he was, uh, he stole the, the most bases in a career. He goes, today, I am the greatest of all time. I feel like you've been waiting for <laughs> your is, moment. That, that is how I felt today. So I was very <laughs> excited to talk to the big homie who I've had a lot of admiration for. It, it was an exciting conversation. Let's get into it. Let's go. We have a very special guest in the building with us today. Folks, make some noise for Alex Fructor. Bro, bro, bro. It's <laughs> a very subdued, not that excited to see yourself. I love that. <laughs> uh, I'm excited to be here. So we always like to start uh, in the same place, which is in this time, this moment, this season. How is the world treating you and how are you treating the world? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, I, don't, I have not thought about how the world is treating me. Uh, good. I think, well, I can't complain. Um, I, was, I was thinking of last night about just how in this cold, uh, I haven't had to really, uh, I was fortunate where I'd never had one thought about like freezing or any kind of trouble. Yeah. And so I, I felt, I felt very fortunate. And I was like thinking about that as I fell asleep yesterday. I'm just mm-hmm. like, damn, you know, it's, it's, I don't know. I think that type of like reflection of your like position in the world and like being able to take that type of inventory of where, where, you, how your life is providing for your day-to-day are you able to like take that feeling and remove it beyond the the vortex and kind of like through life overall are there things that you're feeling that same type of gratitude or reflectiveness on yeah i mean being able to work in this space and um like in december i got to go to bangkok thailand for a booking and then was able to parlay that into i traveled throughout the country so 
even, you know, that, that just whole thing and all the time we're working on a booking with an artist right now that's one of my favorite artists ever. And, it, and just the idea of this possibly happening is like, damn, you know, uh, something I don't take for granted. And that does influence uh, how I want to, when I get hit, reached out to from someone younger that I'll get a DM on Twitter or someone will email me. Um, that just seeking some advice or so a conversation, you know, I like being a mentor. That's something that lately, probably the last six to 12 months has been more of a real conscious hmm. effort. Um, and the students at Columbia that want to meet with me outside of class, just making sure I do that. Cause, um, being successful in this field, definitely not promised. And this all started as, I mean, just uh, a fan. And this was like the wizard of Oz to me. <laughs> Yeah, and you can't even necessarily see where the Yellow Brick Road Inn is because you know that there's the city there that you want to be part of, but it's tough to figure out even how to wind your way in. So I can speak as someone who like, did that reach out to you maybe, shit, like six years ago now, something like that. The first time I interviewed you mm. was for a college radio show, and it was like maybe a month or two after you would launch the label, Closed mm -hmm. Sessions, as someone trying to get a feel for what was happening in the city had been reading and finding music through Ruby Hornet and mm -hmm. then saw that kind of emerge and we sat down and it was like right at the moment where things were starting to expand. Kind of our typical reflection question is, what would you tell, you know, 2012 you? Um, but I want to change it up. Like what's something that you're glad you didn't know then that you know now about how to like make your way through this industry? Hmm. Man, that's good. No one has ever, no one's <laughs> ever asked me that question. And I just didn't know so much that it's, <laughs> it's hard to, uh, to, to rank it. I didn't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I, I do, I, I do think one of my best traits is, is just optimism and, mm -hmm optimism that even the whole idea started with of just going after these parties or going after the artists for the for the documentaries and people saying along the way like this is stupid no artists are going to want to do that but just be like we'll hit I'll hit any and everyone up I think that's the biggest thing I'm, I'm glad I had and and just like as far as one thing I didn't know I don't know if there's there's one mm. thing I, I think it's, it's more so just not being part of the quote-unquote music industry, never having a record label job, so not understanding some of how that works or how music is legally distributed, for example, <laughs> um, definitely helped me because it gave me kind of a naivete. I hate that word. It yeah. sounds weird. But it gave me a You weren't jaded. Yeah, it wasn't jaded, but also I didn't even know. I never thought about this from a business um, profit loss mm -hmm position and if i was thinking about it like that back then i wouldn't have done any of these things mm -hmm. i was approaching it from a oh kind of whimsical i i didn't necessarily want to be def jam from a sense of like def jam is this powerful right. label with tons of employees and they make a lot of money it was like i want people to see the closed session logo one day and be like damn that's that's the shit yeah the way i reacted to def jam and their succession of artists or not wanting to be raucous records how they then got a deal with geffen and interscope and made you know it's more like i want people to recognize closed sessions as a community or group a moment the same way raucous is recognized as a moment so it was know? like trying to not replicate but mirror the impact that it has on listeners mm -hmm. rather than the like commercial success of it right yeah i what? mean because there's no way to to model our company off def jam tom silverman tommy boy told me if you're doing anything you're modeling anything you do after the majors you've already lost you should shut down yeah. and he was very blunt with me when he said that and that I, is I, a man I took who loves heart. a fedora <laughs> For those, that's a very inside <laughs> joke, but Tommy Silverman loves a fedora. I've seen him in many a small fedora in pictures. Would you, would you vouch? That's not a, a pro or a con. I'm yeah. just saying, would you, would, well, does that ring true? I mean, I've been able to meet him a couple times, mm -hmm. and I, I get, that's someone else, though, that when we're talking about mentorship, yeah. in, the, in this past year, going through different struggles. This is a, t a tough one for me, mm -hmm. just going through struggles. I just started cold calling or hitting yeah. up random people, just saying, like, 
I have nothing really to offer you right now, but this is what I do. I really just need some mentors. Can you talk to me? Mm-hmm. And he was one of the people that that hit me, that it's said beautiful. said yes. And for, for the listeners, the, who who is oh yeah, um, Tom Tommy Tom, Tom Silverman. Um, yeah, started uh, Tommy Boy Records, okay. and just being in their office and looking at the wall. I mean, it's it's almost unfathomable the amount of like releases that they they were part of, mm-hmm. um, and I can't speak to like anything, but just like from um, you know, obviously De La Soul to House of Pain and so much in between. Mm-hmm. That whole time period was like Coolio, uh, Naughty by Nature. Oh man, <laughs> it's crazy. Like, <laughs> everything, Queen yeah. Latifah, like so much was. That's dope. So there, but so, anyway, yeah. So, so you you talk about the doors aside. Though. <laughs> <laughs> I see why you were hesitant on the door. I understand. He's like, I'm not throwing no shade. <laughs> um, so you talk about that that, that transition from more of a uh, a passion focus that was um, looking more towards impact and like communal engagement mm. to business and having to worry about profits and mm-hmm. margins and being more pragmatic in terms of like process and day to day approach. What does that shift look like for you practically? It's tough for me. And I think that's, just, again, like just going from my, me personally coming from just growing up here and, and being a DJ and a writer and approaching it from just that. Like, I think a lot of you know, people become DJs because there's so much music that they have to share it. You become a writer because you have to yell about this music you love and you want to be in the room with these people so it's like from what your your question the the pragmatism shifts from artists hitting me up all the time i love that song yep let's put it out yep we'll do that yep we'll do that and then now it's a pragmatic way like okay how can we actually not blow all our resources because we have way too much music mm-hmm. and too many projects going on at the same time. And then also, how do we actually give any of the artists that are working with us any value if we're working 10 things at once? So that's where it's not just like, obviously it is, you want to have bring in more money than you are spending. Mm-hmm. But it's also stop saying yes right. to everything right. because you are enthusiastic has about been, it. Has that been hard? My no game is pretty ass. Yes. I mean, <laughs> I, I was asked this week, like, how was your no game? And I was like, ah, it's not, not think, too hot right now. Yeah, I mean, I think, I, think a, I think every creative person goes through that. Everyone that loves, is passionate about whatever they're doing. You could be a plumber and just love how love this no i'm love serious love, love to love. you could you could gotta lo- get in there. you could love love the science of fixing yeah. someone's sink or toilet and if you say yes to too many jobs you won't hit any of them so that's true that's been the biggest struggle there are a lot of a lot of things i would like to do you know and i think that goes back to even your first set, uh, question if, if i'd approached it from a more business side uh, maybe some things would be would be better off, but a lot of things would never have never have happened. You know, yeah, you kind of get those happy accidents or just things unfold. Just mm-hmm. because you incorporate doesn't mean that like the whole approach has to change overnight. Yeah. So I want to go back, and you were talking about the entry point as a as a writer and a DJ, mm-hmm. um, and just give a little bit of the do the the history backstory stuff. Where in the city did you grow up, and what were kind of the First rooms where beyond just having music in your headphones, you were engaging with music. Yeah, I grew up in High Park, on Fifty Fourth and High Park Boulevard, and that was uh, you know instrumental in in a lot of what I was doing. And you know, obviously, I could talk about school and the neighborhood, but I think a key place that really um, helped me get deeper into the music scene was Dr. Wax. It was a record store uh, in Harper Court. And the the one of the people that worked there was a local artist named uh, Taiwan Davis. And he hosted uh, WHBK with Pugs Adams. Who mm-hmm. And um, I would go there. So I went to high school, though, at Morgan Park Academy, uh-huh, uh-huh. which which is... <laughs> We're going to have to do it. <laughs> which is uh, not very close to High Park. I was the only kid from most... A lot of the kids actually were coming from the south suburbs mm-hmm. into the city to go to MPA, and I was one of the few people that was going uh, further south. So there were not any kids close to me, 
And before I could have a car to really like get to my friend's house and the, and the sub, suburb kids never were going to come to Hyde Park. They, that was just not. <laughs> that a, was just off the that table. Was off the ta- that was off the table. So like just to pass the time, I I would just go to Dr. Wax a lot after school, and that's when I started looking for more music. And then and then uh, Taiwan put like typical cats in my hand and the Necrobats and mo and like that's where I kind of started my musical education. So I'd say that was one of the the most important places and then from there I think like when I got to college and connected with other kids doing the other DJs at school and we were at Indiana University which is not a hotbed for <laughs> um, hip-hop music that very matter of fact. but <laughs> yeah. I found a community of kids that were from like New York City or um, Chicago or Indianapolis that felt just as kind of out of place hmm. in some respects as I did and then we formed our own things and one of those was hip-hop congress which is a national uh we've had a chapter there and we started to throw like the dj battles mc battles bringing in artists for concerts and that's allowed me to really cut my teeth also just the way the internet was not fully developed at that time there's not social media so i can make mistakes and no one would hear about them in bloomington Let's Indiana. tell people about those mistakes. Any particular <laughs> mistakes since then? The oh, statute yeah. of limitations is over. You're safe now. Um, not getting the right permissions to do things. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> I never crazy, like messed yeah. up fully, but I had a lot of good times. We booked um, a lot of great artists down there, and uh, VIPJ was down there. From he's a he was a cool kids DJ okay. uh, for a while. Andrew Barber was there. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> my dude, the Metronome. I don't know if you know him. No, he's this a, is like. A, Actually, I'm really glad you're here. We've been trying to kind of like bridge the gap in terms of the who are the artists that lead to the artists that lead to the artists we know. And I think there are some lines of continuity here that some of these names, I'm glad we're getting them on mic. Yeah. Actually, when I was in school, I actually brought Pugs, Psalm mm-hmm. One, and uh, Taiwan Davis to IU for a show. So you're a, how are you when you're there staying connected to artists in the city? If the internet's still in right. that early, is it just on breaks you're learning about folks? Yeah, I mean, there were not like a ton of hip hop blogs mm-hmm. and things like that, but I don't know, I just knew somehow mm-hmm. like the OK player, if you were on the OK player message boards. Yeah, the message board game. That's yeah. a whole nother like <laughs> yeah. that's a whole nother joint right there. <laughs> yeah. This is pre comments. We had yeah. a, it was a board. <laughs> and I remember uh when I got that typical cat C D, I just emailed Quell one day. <laughs> Because I thought he, I heard a line that he said wrong and asked him what he meant. And he <laughs> was just like, wanted clarification. Yeah. And he, he's like, no, nah, I definitely didn't say that. What was the line? Do you remember? Um, the first line on the CD is, fuck choosing a word use everyone you've ever heard. And I thought he uh-huh. said, fuck Jews and the word use. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so That's, I, excuse me. <laughs> just like so, to get to I was like, man. I really like <laughs> I really like typical cats and they they formed around WHPK. They were like High Park's Black Star at mm-hmm. the time of these three uh artists. If you don't know typical cats, go look them up. So I just reached out to him and said, Man, you know, I really like your your group. I'm just curious like why you would say this. And he's like, No, definitely <laughs> definitely not. <laughs> and that's kinda how I just stay connected. I'd email people. I don't know. I just did. Yeah. So yeah, what's I'm, emerging yeah. is you are the writer of a very well-written email because it seems like <laughs> mm-hmm. at each stage in the game so much of what gets done is because of a well-written email right are there any moments where like someone who you never thought would respond you said you just fire off the email and then all of a sudden it turns into something great well i, I would email the beastie boys like every day <laughs> 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 what did you have to say to what them? What was in that subject line? Yeah. Man. Looking for new members? <laughs> yeah, no, I had demos. No, um, I would email them. When I got to college and then Hip Hop Congress started up, we had a very basic, basic website. This is probably like 2002 or three. Okay. I would just say, hey, can I interview you? Mm-hmm. And their publicist from Nasty Little Man which is why their album's called Hello Nasty. I don't know if people know this. We could just, if you yeah, ever no, want to do a BC Boy theme podcast, <laughs> I can um, supply a lot of info. But uh, Have you read their new book? I'm on, yeah, I'm on page um, like 170. Hmm. We, they just got uh, off the Madonna tour okay. in the book. <laughs> okay. But um, yeah, no, they, they would just be like, no, we're not doing that. Hmm. And then eventually one day 
uh, they did and said, yeah, come meet us here. They walked in and are sitting like where you're sitting. Yeah. And that was crazy. <laughs> it's strange that you can just kind of wear someone down that way. Like, <laughs> your 40th email wasn't a better offer than your first email. <laughs> they just ran out of excuses. Yeah. Well, it, it eventually hit them to where they had put a new album out. Mm. And then I was writing for another website called SoundSlam, which was, that's when like I started to see how small the hip hop community was and a lot of the relationships that I have now are still from going back to like 04, 05, 06 that were all young people like that have figured things out and now work here and here right. and manage this artist or work there. And that's one of the key things that I've also coming from Chicago. There was a lot of like YouTube can't be really dope at it because I'm the one yeah. that's really dope at it. And that's a very bad um, hmm. men mentality to have. And if like that's one of the things if I could tell my younger self of like the competition is definitely a driving factor, but mm -hmm. you want to really like let go of a lot of that ego hmm. or competitiveness. Yeah, that's yeah. definitely one thing that like in my study of the timeline of hip hop culture, I'm hoping we really take seriously of like growing to be more cooperative yep. and realizing that like because the origins of it come from competition doesn't mean we need to be like stuck yeah. in that place or seeing that now that our co the culture is so expansive, there is enough room, yeah. and how do we cooperate? So I, I'm curious, because since we, you know, for folks who don't know what MPA is, Morgan Park mm -hmm. Academy, we did go to the same high school, mm -hmm. obviously at different times. Uh, I think I, think I just graduated like a year or two before you. <laughs> you know, it was a couple, couple of little squeaks in between. Yeah. Uh -huh. um, but, you know, it's interesting, as, as, as I'm getting older, I have such a weird relationship to that time, because I felt so isolated, mm -hmm. and felt that, I was trying to like overcompensate for feeling isolated in those ways, but also like respecting the protection that came and being that in like school. this kind of off little bubble off mm -hmm. in the corner of the city. There's so much bullshit that I'm just like seeing now. Like, oh, I wasn't, I didn't piss people off because I didn't know them mm -hmm. right. <laughs> when I was 19 and 20 and 60. Like, I wasn't in the mix right. in that same way that I probably am now. And so, as you have gone from that place of isolation, but you now have, you know, citywide, national, global relationships and connections. How, how do you, did that ring true for you of like kind of searching to, to, to fill this uh, void from isolation mm -hmm. in your work? For people that don't know, MPA is like uh, very small. I mean, my graduating class was 40 kids. Yeah, me too. Yep. Yeah. So it's a really small. 40 kids in my math class. Probably in a class, <laughs> right, right? Right, right? So... For me, going there was like a whole new world. Even though it's small, it's it's pretty diverse, and there are a lot of kids from even other like their parents are first gener like their first generation kids from um, all over the place. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I I felt like it would have been really easy for me to drift into the background at another a bigger high school. Like a lot of my friends went to Kenwood. Mm -hmm. I could easily have just seen myself just drift off into not nothingness but like just average like mm -hmm. at mpa they don't let you just be average right they see you they see you it's like Al yeah. alex you're sleeping like, yeah. like no they, yeah. <laughs> there is no back of the class there is right. No, right no for real there there is no there is no back of the, of the class uh and that is where i think it goes back to like one of the reasons i wanted to go to indiana after mpa was because i wanted to get a back of the class experience again mm -hmm. of like, okay, this was like this hyper, everyone knows everything. Now I'll go to a Big Ten school and just kind of like figure out myself again. But yeah. I think MPA allowed me to like, I never would have been able to play high school basketball at, mm -hmm. a, at like Kenwood Academy. I just, <laughs> you know, I don't want to. No, I'm just kidding. No, I would have got saying. cut. I'm not even going to play. <laughs> we got a half court. I would, I definitely, <laughs> no, definitely, definitely would not have made that team. Yeah. Um, no, NBA has inflated many a career stats. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I could be on a basketball team. I had a, had a radio show in the morning where you could play music before. I did too. Y'all had, yeah. had a radio uh -huh. station? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Where you oh, could sign up and just play music as did people got to school. Did you have a name for your show or was it just you? No, nah, it'd be like. Like Tuesday, I get like they would assign you different days, but I would go in there and play all the all the shit. Well, Mr. I, Kowalski, 
Yeah, Mr. Kowalski. Mr. Kowalski was a cool dude. Uh, you could do the announcements and like play yeah. a song or two. Yeah, you, yeah, you did. Yep. So <laughs> I'd come and bring all this shit I was discovering at Dr. Wax. I'd come and play it there. I was on the newspaper when I was there. I don't know if they had this still, but they started what's called an honor council. They uh, did have that. So I didn't care. When, when, I, was, when, when I was a when I was a junior, like plagiarism type stuff. Yeah, like yeah. where you would be. Uh, oh, tried, the commission. <laughs> kind of. You could, you could, it, it was, it was, no, shade. no, no, it, it wasn't where this group of people had to snitch. It was, let's say you are accused of something instead of having to talk about it with all teachers, you would be, a group of your peers would talk to you. Mm. Um, and I don't know, I saw this happening and I've seen the movie School Ties. I don't know if you guys have seen <laughs> no, that movie. Great. It's uh, Brendan Fraser, Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, wow. Chris O'Donnell's in it. But it's about a Jewish kid from Scranton, Pennsylvania, being recruited to play football at a Wasp of the Wasp mm-hmm. private school. Mm-hmm. And there's rampant cheating. And then they all put the blame on this Jewish kid. So you're like, fool me once, <laughs> same on you. Fool me so twice. I was the only Jewish kid at MPA at that time. Mm-hmm. And I saw this honor council forming. And I was like, <laughs> no. I, know, I know what this means. And I became. I, I was like, Fraser warned me about yeah, this. I was. I was like, I'll be on this thing. So I was a prefect of the honor council for us well, for a wow. year. But watch the movie. It's actually really. It's really good. It definitely got watered down by my time. But, <laughs> but that's cool to think about because like like I'm bringing up my iPod playing Cool Kids tracks. Uh, yeah, and like that oh, you would probably post it. Yeah, in like oh eight oh nine. You know, in the same space. So that's just that's just a cool little yeah. action. Well, continuity. <laughs> So if that is that the kind of the first time that you're or kind of around that era, like picking songs and then starting to whether that's through DJing or that little joint in the morning, like sharing them with people? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that was the first outlet mm-hmm. of that. And, you know, being able to be I think I was like 16 or 17 when Napster appeared mm. out of nowhere. And then it was like, oh, the game's over. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and so then every day at school became before I leave for school, setting up every download I can. And then when I get home, all right, let's see out of these 50 tracks I tried to steal. Uh, <laughs> I I, if that. I could get 27 of them, it's yeah. been a good a good day. And like, then it was, uh, you don't know this, you don't know that. And that was a big, that was a big thing. And then that's what I took to, to, to IU. And that's when I started like, uh, I don't know if you've heard of a, uh, a artist named Wordsworth. Mm, he was a rapper. Uh, he was on the show Lyricist Lounge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was like one of the first people, or dilated. I don't know, you know, dilated peoples. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So th- these were like two of the first artists I just randomly emailed, finding their shit in, like, on the CD booklet. <laughs> I didn't even have a site. It's like, can I just interview you? I'll write it up. So I guess I figured it. I would put it. I don't know how I was gonna put this <laughs> yeah, out, yeah. but yeah, cool. We'll talk to you for forty-five minutes. I was like, all right, great. If someone emailed you to try to talk to one of your artists the way you emailed them, would you say yes? Yeah. So I, I'm really conscious of that kind of thing because I also feel like just, just let's say um, someone would have just like dismissed me, which is right. perfectly fine. No yeah, one is owed anything, things, yeah. but I want to discover who the person is and what is their passion because someone emailing me now with just a blog they're running out of their bedroom i'm thinking like maybe in three years they'll be working at a complex or they're going to be working at the fader or maybe their own thing is very popular and you can dismiss someone and they will never forget it right and then on the same token you can be the only person they email 10 a day and i'm going to be the only one that says yes they'll also never forget that so i do try to at least hit them back. I can't make any artist that I work with do anything. You know, right. it's up to them, but I can suggest it. And that's something I teach my my students at Columbia too. Like, you all are in college now. You're not going to stay here. Right. You're at this school trying to learn and do things. You're throwing a party today at some DIY venue. Why would I not think that in 10 years you're the, you're not going to be a talent buyer at House of Blues right. or somewhere else. Yeah. At that point, to be emailing, yeah. the odds are pretty good that they're going to be they're doing gonna something. Do, they're going to do something. Were you ever slighted in a way you never forgot? <laughs> 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 yeah, I'm, I'm sure. Um, it's funny, I'm like blanking on all these things <laughs> right now, but that's just because I, 
I'm not kidding. Since probably October, November, I've ground. really tried to change mm-hmm. my thinking and let a lot of those yeah. things go. Um, what happened in October? Yeah, November? If, if you want to share, like, yeah. what kind of catalyzed that shift? I mean, I think it was just overall continuing to see trends in the music business as, as in general. What kind of what we were talking about off air with the change in how music is mm-hmm. broken. I mean, all these shifts. And just starting to figure out, like, maybe the way I was having a lot of success is not feasible anymore. Mm-hmm. Coming from Ruby Hornet and DJing, I had a lot of those on-the-ground relationships and connections and uh, with press, for sure. And, like, all the writers were this community. One by one, they're kind of, like, fading off. So my way of breaking an artist, I could get them on this party in this city. I get this DJ here right. to to fuck with it. I get this writer. If those people are coming off, I got to figure out new ways to work and just you know, getting bored and feeling kind of stuck. Hmm. So I just did like pause and like I said, reached out to a lot of older people. Because they've probably gone through that moment, yeah. too, where the way that they had always done things all of a sudden wasn't the way to do things anymore. Yeah. And they got to reconfigure and reimagine and rethink. Yeah. And, you know, building your own thing, whether it is a label or a podcast, you're always relying on yourself for the the next idea. Yeah. So that can cause, like, some burnout. And there's nothing wrong with reaching out to someone and just saying, can I talk to you for a half hour and see if you have an idea? And I did that. I reached out to a lot of people and surprisingly more than I expected were receptive and I was able to meet or talk to on the phone, like some very accomplished and and just like cool people that, you know, changed my perspective and also kind of like reinvigorated what I was doing. So to that conversation we were having, we've been really fascinated in like capsulizing or documenting the era that I think we were just referring to. Mm-hmm. So I got my laptop in 09, okay. mm-hmm. right? So that's when I first really started getting internet access like that. And I felt like I was a year or two behind. I felt like there was a, a good 18 to 24 months of like building up that I was like catching up to. What were you downloading Wayne mixtapes on before that? The whole yeah. bill. We ran through about four or five of those. <laughs> <laughs> Getting Wayne and, and stepbrothers on MP4 and <laughs> accidentally, air quote, accidentally finding my way into porn <laughs> downloads. Um, and so, you know, once I really started seeing the blog space that, I, you know, Ruby Horton was such an important platform in that era. And then kind of as we were talking before, Around 13, 14, mm-hmm. there was really something beautiful, something kind of je ne sais quoi. It feels like the way people talk about the mid to late 80s that, that yeah. was happening at, at mm-hmm. play. And we're just really now getting on the other side of it. So now we can start creating it as a history. Right. Um, and so h- how do you name or look at that point, especially since your space was such important, at least on the Chicago scale yeah. for sure? Man, I look at that almost like a Wild West is a period where record labels or the way they were doing business was on the way down. Mm-hmm. They were figuring out streaming and, and getting music digitally available legally, properly, right. where they could control it again. But you had this small area where there was no centralized distribution. You had artists waking up in the morning, emailing their favorite writer, whether that was SK or Two Dope Boys, or Ruby Hornet, and just being like, this is my new song, I want you to put it up and share it. And those were and, the only people involved and in that the was, and that, Yeah, and that was on a Send Space or Z Share, or a lot of artists would just send me the track and I would put it, embed it directly into the website. Yeah. You had like small artists getting their first shot, and then you even had really big artists, like that weren't like the major focus of their their label anymore, but like had this pedigree. And wanting to like tap into this local community. And then I I mean, obviously I I think part of it is when I look back on it, I'm also talking about, you know, my mid twenties. So I'm getting paid well, you know, not anything crazy, but to a 25 year old, it's like, wait, you're going to pay me Three thousand dollars a month to just all day write about music, and then at night get free concert tickets and ha- and like go to these meet and greets, <laughs> and I get to like, who's gonna come to the studio later right. and make a song from scratch? And all the shit that we did, it was just 
because there were no real rules. Everyone was figuring things out. So that's how I look at it. And I also look at it as a time where some of that competitive or I'm not fucking with you just because you're from a different side of the city or we're going after the same goal kind of went away because I think with Fakes for Driving, Ruby Hornet, everyone was kind of now able to see what everyone else was doing. Hmm. Every artist could get each other's songs. There were discussions happening in those things. And then there were also some of that Wizard of, Wizard of Ozness was taken away because every month we had a party right. where I would be playing the records from the blog. Artists would come. They'd hear their music in the bar. They would be able to meet other artists. There's so many collaborations would come out of those yeah. events. And, like, everybody, you know, felt like it, we were in something special. I remember with the cool kids coming from the studio and handing me uh, just a blank CD, a burn CD with uh, Bundle Up on it. Mm. And I played Bundle Up. That they had just made. The, that they just made. <laughs> they, right. that, but that was happening every month. Everyone, like Rhymefest showed up one day and went on, went on a crazy rant about uh, <laughs> artists not donating to charity as, <laughs> as quickly as That's they wanted. Good. It's good to practice. <laughs> yeah, like... It was just like it's funny to think of the every whole time. time that there's the trajectory of Kanye rants. There's also happening <laughs> simultaneously. Yeah, and, no, and like a lot of time, the Kanye rant is the subject of the. He actually would ghostwrite Kanye. <laughs> yeah, and they critique it. But, <laughs> but that was like the thing. And then like that whole before Instagram, you'd have these parties, and then everyone want to get their photo taken. Then the next day, we put it's up the photos, Facebook. and everyone's <laughs> going back to Ruby Hunter, like, "Oh, I love this." So, that was just really cool. Um, and in 2011, we brought Action Bronson for his first show. He rapped at Beauty Bar right next to me, next to DJ Booth. And I think it was $5 to get in. Mm. Is the artist that is an equivalent of like where Bronson was in 2011, which I don't know, whoever's that buzzing about to mm. pop, that whole artist that's on these blogs buzzing, hasn't been to a lot of major cities yet, they're not going to the local like DJ or websites party for $5 and rapping where like people could touch them. I don't think that circuit, it was like a little, no, it was like a little circuit. Like you go to this city and this this website has this party with this streetwear store. And we happened to be able to do that in Chicago. And like, you know, at that party from, a Danny Brown to Side the Prince and Bronson, Freddie Gibbs, they're all even we even had like Raekwon do that. Right. I don't know if that type of thing is gonna happen mm-hmm. again. That's like a a, a loss. Yeah, I'm just imagine I'm just thinking of the landscape, like going from competing to that one local hour a week on GCI to like having this whole space where you can be heard and interact with the world. So like And those people had to double bed like I remember Andrew had got a time on WGCI and he was like a host in a morning show for a little while or you'd have like the DJ Moondogs or Timbuktu had, was right, killing right, it. Right, right. It's like I think a lot of those stations or everybody started to pay attention and then when they started to pay attention and they started to bring in those people not just locally but all over that's when you start to see a lot of the indie blogs die out because like Complex can pay people. Right. And noisy can obviously pay people, and that's where a lot of those people. Yeah, so many friends of mine now work at at a Red Bull, which is not bad. The other thing too is we grew up at twenty five, getting a few grand a month, and here we'll pay you in drink tickets. Like fuck it, yes, (laughs) sounds great. (laughs) That's not gonna work as you get older. So right. you got to find another. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> it's hard uh, to feed these kids on these drink tickets. <laughs> I got a whiskey sour for you. Um, so yeah, as like the, the the space has been more corporatized, so you kind of answered the, the question I was going to go into of like, is there anything we've lost? The question of, is the music industry going to survive or is it making money anymore? Is like completely out the window, right? Mm-hmm. Like they have reformulated and it's happening. And so even now that you're in a different role mm-hmm. where the position of the label is in like such a precarious kind of questioning, like we know there'll be an industry, but the the label as the entity <coughs> that kind of mediates and is the, the foundation of this is being questioned at some point. And like that's kind of the route that you stepped into. So where, right. where are you seeing the transitions yeah. in, in that, that, that space? I mean, from my point of view, 
and you could call it a record label. You could you could call it whatever you want. I mean, I think the the term record label carries a hmm. uh, certain weight or connotations. But at the end of the day, and I think still maybe even now more than ever, you need a team of people that have access to these platforms. I mean, there is so many artists right now just releasing music, period. And then there are so many artists just like artists, capital letters, releasing music all the Every Friday is right. a shit show. Right. So You mean just in terms of the quantity? The quantity of, of music that is now also demanding attention. Right. And you don't have maybe the kid, if you're in Chicago, I'm going to go and see what's important to Fake Shore Drive, or I'm going to go to Ruby Hornet, or I'm going to go to Nah Right. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to go to Pigeons and Planes. You need someone that's going to try to get other people to care about your music, and that's what a label does. Some do it. There's a major label system that are plugged in in their ways, and they have their resources, and there are great indie labels all over the country that right. have their own way to do it. But I don't think that record labels are less and less important. The label where people, I think, again, where it gets misconstrued is that people that, that don't maybe study the music business or ha- like know anyone that runs or works at a record label, they think of it as like just a faceless corporation that yeah. comes in, takes, signs an artist to shitty deal, works with them for a bit. Like that happens for sure. Yeah. But that's probably 5% of label hmm. operations. Mer- you think in this moment or historically? In, let's say just historically in hip-hop. You think uh, that has always kind of been a small section of the industry? That's a good question. I mean, I don't know. I think that more than not, people that love music and right. work to support artists, there's not an interesting story there's not going to be a VH1 documentary on an artist who signs a record deal, releases three albums, finishes their deal, has a career, everything went well. Right. And exa- they got along with their A&R yeah. fantastically. <laughs> they went on vacation. Yeah. It's great. I, that's not that's right. not so a, there's the a like story. salaciousness of the times where it goes wrong. Yeah. It is always a interesting discussion of art versus commerce. You know, mm-hmm. how do you how do you do that? How do you balance that? Um, but you know, the days of definitely needing a label where you need an antiquated record deal right. that is uh, takes advantage of people, that should be done and, and is, I think, is done. But, you know, just from the other side of it, I don't know anyone who is an island on their own and just like right. doing ev- doing absolutely everything. And you also got to think like, where do you want to operate as an artist or even for someone that wants to work in the business side? Like you want to run an indie label where what how how big do you want to go who do you want to play against you, you want to be a promoter right and throw parties you could be fully happy throwing parties at shubas and you have the 200 people and every month you you do that's great that's definitely a different landscape than you're trying to do c3 level events those are completely different things yeah. and they have different um you have to make certain concessions so I think that labels will always be valued. Indie labels are going to continue. Major labels are going major labels are thriving again. The stream, I think the people that are benefiting the most right now are tech companies, Apple, right. Spotify. These are technology companies, they are not music companies. You you mentioned that kind of antiquated <laughs> exploitative model going out the window and even the antiquated effective models going out the window that were maybe better than the other versions. What's the contemporary version of signing a bad record label deal i think the worst thing you can do like a bad a bad deal to me is not necessarily about there is a level of bad where you just like the contract itself is bad and unfair but anyone that can you know think intelligently about what they're doing has an attorney or a manager some inf- someone informed um can get some kind of terms that are going to be fair but when a record deal becomes bad is when i think it's more so about the fit of the company understanding like what the responsibilities are going to be what are the promises and like you got to 
try to get really good at forecasting because mm -hmm. I could sign an artist today right now and I'm thinking this is going to be great. And then let's say it turns out they're an asshole and piss off everybody that right. works at the studio. No one wants to record with them. Right. We work with like a publicist and they never return that person's phone calls and that publicist just like, I don't need this. I'm not doing this project of yours. So now what was a very good, the paper is right. great. Mm -hmm. That was a good deal for everybody. But in actions, that was terrible. Right. And it can go the same way for the artist too. They might be like, this is great with this label. Uh, everything's good. And then they find out that someone's incompetent or this happens, you know? So it's really hard. And I just think that from the outside looking in, it's very easy to blatantly be like, labels suck. Right. But what that doesn't really do anything. And there's the consistent narrative of like who the bad guy is. Right. So how much of that, and this is just an open question, I think some of what feeds that is one, the stories where that is the case, and two, the way, at least in hip-hop, the, the, that power dynamic has been racialized. Yeah. So it's one thing when someone exploits another person. It's another thing when a white guy in a suit exploits a 19-year-old black kid who is making art. Mm -hmm. um, how do you take into account power dynamics around race, age, gender, financial stability, um, not just in like the deals you sign, but just in how you walk through this industry? Yeah. I mean, that that's a great question. And I think it's something that, you know, for me, I can't change the fact that I'm a Jewish dude. Like there's nothing I can do about it. Um, I think that I was lucky enough to grow up in Hyde, in Hyde Park and have the experiences that I've had. And like also being really educated by a lot of people in hip hop that taught me the right, the right way to go about things, the way to prove yourself, the way to like you are – you know, stepping into someone else's culture and how to be respectful and work with that and being taught that. And that's definitely um, important. And that's what is expressed too. Like the type of music we put out, I'm very conscious of of what those messages are. Working with artists that have something important to say, you know, that's a big part of what we're doing. And then also it goes back too to that mentorship idea mm -hmm. Before this, I was a t I taught. Um, I, I've been a teacher since I graduated college. I taught at this uh, school, Henderson Elementary on Fifty Seventh, and Damon and brought in even from that. That was like brought in uh, MC Juice. I don't know if you guys mm -hmm. know Juice. Yeah. Juice taught a class. Knowledge from Kids in the Hall yeah, came in and taught a class, and we would try to get artists in there. But um, we're just very sensitive of the climate, and then I think it just goes back to showing and even the the actions from way back of wanting to say yes working with artists I'm excited about I think I do operate from the standpoint of a DJ and I don't know if this even answers your question because it's still something that I'm figuring out yeah. but to me it's not a, appealing or I don't get anything out of like just signing someone that really doesn't know what they're getting into like mm -hmm. I don't want to do to do that and I think that goes into like who we'd want to work with and passing up certain things that could be good for business but as a, I wouldn't be able to sleep at night yeah the right like the right way you've talked a lot about like lineage and being mentored and mm -hmm. then now being in a position of like teaching and mm -hmm. mentoring so that you were taught valuable lessons on how to engage how to acknowledge power how to mm -hmm. you know be culturally sensitive from those lessons built upon your experience how would you then teach that to someone else who's coming up. Because it's one thing to teach a class on the industry and here's how you negotiate publishing, but it's another thing to be like, hey, these dynamics that you might not know are at play are at play. Here's a way to address that or think about that. Mm -hmm. Is that what you were? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just thinking of a of a of a 19 year old or or like you know someone who's just in your position who is was in the code but didn't maybe didn't have a, a OG or a big homie to school them yeah. on you know these things that not even hip hop issues are American are global issues mm -hmm. but I think the contradictions are so much more visible in right. hip hop culture yeah uh, because it is counterculture yeah I mean I I definitely think. They, you have to go where the action is happening, and I think a lot a lot of it is changed with with like when I started doing any of the things I was doing, 
there wasn't really a way to just build a reputation on a computer screen. Mm, yeah. You know, you had you had to you had to <laughs> go. Yeah, yeah. You had to go there. And just even since I was a kid, you know, I've been in the the situation where like whether it's being just the only Jewish kid at MPA or the only white person at a Herald's on eight, you know, eighty seventh Street mm-hmm. or things like that being taken place by my friends' parents, like as a little kid, like going to someone's house for a sleepover to, from a totally different culture than me, um, are invaluable yeah. things that I did not do any of that on purpose mm-hmm. as an like eight-year-old. Immersion. Yeah, no, <laughs> like as an eight-year-old, it's like, I'm just going to go to this person's house or this person's parents or take, are like my, my parents be like, yeah, take them, to, you know, hang out for the day and this is where we go. So those experiences I was just lucky to have as a kid before you're beat down with that mm-hmm. shit. But then at a certain point, you have to decide, yeah, like what side of the line are you on? And are you going to seek out those kind of um, experiences and put yourself in those in those places and try to look at it from someone else's point of view? So that's what I encourage all the kids to do. Like you want to be work in hip hop, like you have to study where it came from. I'm not saying you need to like go to the Bronx and stand outside. Um fifteen twenty cents we can Right. Right. But no plaque. But nothing. if Cool Herc is in Chicago doing a talk, you should go try yeah. to check that out. Or if taking it to the streets festival that happens every summer in the South Side on at um Market Park. Yeah. Mm. So there's things like that happening yeah. that you should be going to or checking out or or doing. I don't know if that answered your question. Yeah, no, I think being in the world. Yeah, space. I, I'm hearing like engage the space. Yeah, engage know? engage the space, and then also, we don't have the ability to hire a lot of people. But when we do, like we also try to have an eclectic and diverse, um, yeah, employees and interns. Like that is, and even like with Dig- Digital Freshness Party. I want to make sure that every lineup has women involved in it. Yeah. Every lineup has people of different races. Like if you look back at so much of what we've done, that's always been on hmm. my mind as from how Ruby Hornet worked yeah. to now. I've just always been raised that social justice is important. Yeah. And having any kind of platform that Ruby Hornet is or was was only because other people reading it decided that this was of some kind of value. <laughs> so it's disrespectful to those people if I don't recognize what they've given and it's much bigger than me. So what I choose to put up there right. matters, right. even if it matters very small to a small pocket of the world, but it still matters. And what are you going to use your voice yeah. for? Closed sessions matters to, there's no delusions. We're a small hip-hop label the core fan base is chicago people but it could even be way less and we could have nobody fucking with us <laughs> so <laughs> that is a very important decision you that have, i have to try to remember you have a staff you know <laughs> to, the, to the to the people that do man i'm so it's shout not, out to the people that yeah. fuck with us that's oh, that's yeah. a big shout out to everybody yeah, anywhere in the world that fucks with people. <laughs> so <laughs> For me to be like naive or think like, oh, it's all good. We just exist in like to deny the historical context is not right. Appreciate that. So I, so I heard you say like the then to the now. So as we're winding down, like to stay in the now, because I think we were very uh, nerdy about like, oh, let's talk about 2010. It's been fun. <laughs> no, it's been fun. Yeah. <laughs> what, what, what I ex- hope people are still listening. Shouts. If anyone shout out to y'all who, yeah. who have made it here. We, we have a dedicated Yet again, group. a second shout out to the people who fuck Shout with. out to everybody yeah. fucking with us. <laughs> um, what, ex- what is ex- exciting you about the now and the, the next for where Closed Sessions is and, and is striving to go? Yeah, no, um, we have a great uh, roster of artists right now that are new. We generally work mm-hmm. with new people just trying to Emerged. We just put out an EP with a Johnny Jones Who's in Boathouse. We got to get him up. I guess you're the person to talk. Yeah, let's get him <laughs> up here. Um, but yeah, a Johnny Jones and and Boathouse put out a project called One Punch that just that's out now everywhere. A Johnny has an album coming out this year. Jack Larson is working on a project this year, and then I don't know. Maybe the next person I'm working with I haven't even met yet. So that's just exciting um, of what's happening. And then. Speaking of just the nostalgic part of it, 2009 was the year we really got things going. Um, so to commemorate our 10 years, 
we are putting out the first two compilations, Closed Sessions Volume 1 and Volume 2, on vinyl for the first time ever. Um, that's that the volume one is coming out April 19th and then volume two will follow. We rebooted the digital freshness party series that's happening every month at the empty bottle. Um, the next one is happening April 6th. Kemba from the Bronx. Hey, is yeah, shout out. Coming to <laughs> two Bronx shout outs is all I need. Yeah. <laughs> we can, we, we've got well, what we need. We can wrap. That's awesome. So Kemba is coming to headline that one with DJ Cash Era, um, Brittany Carter. Ah, oh, dope. Khalid B, yeah, and myself. That's it. Good show. That's a good. I, sh- I should go to that. I'm gonna buy tickets, and I hope that I make it. <laughs> a- a- April, April sixth at Empty Bottle, and we'll be oh, be doing those throughout. We're working on a new closed session volume compilation, and um, just a lot of cool stuff. I'm having fun. Like I kind of got out of a period of not having any fun, mm-hmm. and now. I'm having fun again, and um, can you talk about that a little bit? Like, it don't got to get too deep, but like, I struggle with fun and joy, Uh and so like, what kind of took you out of it, and what active choice did you make to say this is what I'm going to do to strive towards fun? Yeah, any job. Again, going back to a plumber, right? You just hit a wall. You've just done too many. Too many sinks. Too many sinks. Yeah. <laughs> As a plumber, you'd hope not to hit the wall. Or <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> no, but like, man, you work hard and you're plumbing. You're like, maybe I could instead of doing, you know, college kids bathrooms in Lincoln Park, I want to get up to the Logan Square mansions. I want to challenge yeah. myself and be working on those old. You go down like mm-hmm. Palmer mm-hmm. Yeah, or yeah. Logan Boulevard. Mm-hmm. Like, how can I get in there? And then you get in there and you realize that. The people that own those houses, they care a bit more than the college <laughs> students <laughs> who start their apartment. It's not their shit, really. Yeah. Oh, and there's a lot more pressure now. Yeah. So part of it is just, man, we're growing. If someone's asking me, like, how are we going to do this? How are you going to do that? And it's like, I've never run a label of this size before. Every time we hit a new place, <laughs> like, I've never been here. Yeah. So. Now I'm in a new spot. I've never always not known. Yeah, (laughs) sink. This is the first one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. Some of that, just like you know, we had a lot of just a lot going on, and (sighs) and, um, it just it's just man, just the drain. Teaching four classes at Columbia College, working all these others. It's just like was a a point of like not having any fun. And then um, I took that trip to Thailand, unplugged a bit. You know, not everyone can do that for sure. I'm very fortunate to. I've had like a way to get to Thailand. And then once I was there, turned my phone off, pretend like just, I was just there. And then slowly I would start to get like ideas. And then I mm-hmm. tapped back into that time in my life where if I wanted to like throw a party with XYZ, fuck it, I'm going to hit them up and see. That extended metaphor was really valuable for me. Like it's not fun to always be doing shit you don't know how to do. There's privilege in it, right? And there's like value to be always having challenge and like and growing the through that. Of it, of the new yeah. But sometimes you got to do what you know. Yeah. yeah. You you know, you got to uh, go back and get back. Go back. So it's like, all right, what is going to be fun? Well, I really loved doing these sessions with out of town artists and just bringing someone cool and throwing a party. So I'm going to hit open mic ego to what he just want to do it. Oh, he does. Cool. All right. Now I got a digital freshness to promote. That was fun. Ruby Hornet. I have no, again, no delusions of where that's at, but it's like, now I just have it. There's no pressure. No one is relying on it to make any money. It's just like, if I feel like writing something today, here's an outlet. Bam. I paused, bought that Beastie Boys book and started reading the book. I kind of got into a habit where every minute of the day, if I don't have something to show for that minute, man, but I started to do things where there didn't need to be any kind of product or email yeah. or anything after I'm just going to read this BC boys book, not to then write a think piece about it, mm-hmm. right. just to read, just it. to read it. And for fun, I had my turntable set up at the closed session office. I moved those found space, made space <laughs> in my, in my apartment for them. Mm. Like yeah. if I want to scratch for an hour, I don't need to develop a routine this is not going to need to be something I record and post on SoundCloud. It's like, that's where I kind of tap, tap back into. Yeah, so yeah. like for yeah, people, yeah, yeah, just yeah, like, yeah. and that, that every minute needs to be valuable thing is <sighs> I think especially really hard when you feel accountable to an artist who you're working with. Mm-hmm. 
there is a level of accountability there where they're counting on you to be doing this work. You know, you can't control the music they make. So this is the piece that you can contribute to. But then if you take a step back, even if that's the most useful thing, it can be hard to like mm. accept that that's what's needed too. And that then the ideas coming out of that are probably going to be better. Right. And it sounds like a lot of the choices you made, and we'll wrap in a minute, were to kind of have a stake back in things that you had built in the past that right. you had stepped away from. Right. So it's not just like finding new fun. It's going, what are the things that are have been important to me and how do I reinvest in them? Right. Does that ring true? Uh, yeah, no, I mean, definitely. And just the value of, you know, so many good things came out of those parties <laughs> that having one party and 300 people are in this room now and experiencing something all together is really powerful. It gives me definitely a boost yeah. and I, I'm having fun, but that connection of like, oh, what's up? Haven't seen you in years. What are you doing? <laughs> That's maybe more valuable to even an artist I'm working with than me shooting off an email. To, hey, can you check this out? And realizing that we have this brand we cultivated and while we can water every individual artist and that is the main thing we're, we need to do, but there is this larger thing that's bigger than anybody here and that's rare and something very fragile. So we need to give some light and attention to those things or they will just fade away. And that's, that's like why also I bought Ruby Hornet back. I got a Facebook notification and it was like, I think it was um, the first post. It was like an anniversary of maybe an interview I did with Chance, like way back in mm -hmm. 2011 or 12. And I went to read it, and it didn't even like the website was not up. Mm. It redirected mm. me some to another site that they the company had, and mm. I had this shock of like it wasn't mm. from an ego of no one's gonna read my writings. It was more like, damn, like it that's how sure. I spent my twenties, yeah. right. gone. Right. So I want to like get that back, and like someone is gonna write what you're saying like someone's gonna write a history of this time period that's if pretty, i don't some pretty good archive yeah, if i don't yeah and like, primary sources yeah and like if we don't take care of our little pocket of it no one else is gonna and we're gonna be written out of it so, or the version that's told will be inaccurate right you know when you're um playing basketball and having like main three-point shots not falling anymore our coach would always say, like, just go and shoot layups. Just watch it actually go through the hoop. And yeah. so Is this that a Drahazel shout out? Uh, you know what? He never he was he was the girls' coach. He was the girls' coach. <laughs> but <laughs> at the nineties at one point, I yeah, we had we players. had uh, some terrible coaches, but we had a great we one. We did have some my, terrible my, coaches. <laughs> my, fre my freshman year, we had a coach named Mr. Joseph. <laughs> shout and out Mr. Joseph. Shout out! I don't know. What he's up to these he's days. He's a big podcast listener. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. For, for all of those who are dreaming to coach high school basketball and have no relationship to basketball or high school basketball, Morgan Park Academy is the place to start. <laughs> the, uh, if you have a coach outfit, that's all you need. A clipboard. The, if you have a clipboard and a clipboard whistle. Clipboard Cubs. The independent. They, they provide yeah. the clipboard. The independent school. The, um, but I love that metaphor of like see it going and then you can work your way his, back. His free throws. But no, he said two things that I, I never forgot. One was you got to attack things with controlled rage. If you're just out of control, you're not doing anything. So you got to have controlled rage. Like get angry, play with that emotion. But it needs, And that's has helped me in everything. And then the other thing we are doing, we got blown out by this team. And it was the first time we really like just got fully whooped. People had get kind of given up. Like people were yeah. not, not really trying. And he was just like, oh, okay. Like, oh, when we're winning, like, everyone's all good. But now times are tough and we're losing. And, like, now everyone's complaining about, like, how much time they get to play, things like that. Mm -hmm. And that's just what I've taken into just dealing with those those tough mm -hmm. times and stuff. Is that the cohesion won't be there? People won't be in the same headspace? What's the lesson from that? <laughs> yeah, the lesson is that when we are having Spotify playlist placements every time and I'm getting a blog to write about your music or – everything is going well, everyone's happy. Mm. And that can hide a lot of things. When mm. things get tough, you that's when you start to really see who's down for the cause. Mm -hmm. yeah. Things are tough and we need actually like help out here. You know, 
You're yeah. Like Boogie has a line on his thing, like you're only gang when it's convenient. I was <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, <laughs> that's dope. His, I just want you to know right now that you are actually sitting next to the all-time leading scorer in Morgan Park Academy oh, history. Damn. That's what's 2012. Up, damn, wow. <laughs> I never thought that that was going to be able to get documented. Yeah, that's but we, we had an extended metaphor about the music industry through Morgan Park Academy basketball. That's what's and up. I was this able to finally time. put that on wax. That's what's up, man. <laughs> we, can't, we can't top that. Is, uh, <laughs> is Miss Ken Cannon still there? I think was she, she your teacher? She was there. Miss Ken Cannon was there. Shout out, Miss Ken yeah. Cannon. All right, we got to drop Are there any uh, any threads or or last ideas that we touched on that you want to make sure get included in this conversation? No, man. I man, I think you guys touched on a lot, and we've talked for a minute, a yeah. lot of minutes. Um, <laughs> minutes. We got to get you out of here. But no, I appreciate you guys having me on here. No, it's, it's a pleasure to be about. here. Yeah, cool. and uh, shout out to your dog. Who I, we live around the corner from each other. <laughs> yep. Shout out Charlie Brown. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> well, any place they uh, you want to be found? Any last plugs or sh- or shout outs? No, nah, man. Everything is on um, you know close sessions handle Twitter, Instagram. If there are people listening that man felt something from this interview or what we're saying, I encourage you to reach out and the support of Chicago and the Chicago hip hop uh, and artistic community has like been the lifeblood of everything that we're doing so i'm I'm really ha- again happy to be here f- with this podcast in particular and shout out one last time to all the people that fuck with us so. <laughs> absolutely <laughs> that's a big takeaway all right we'll be back next week showcasing another person reshaping the culture of the city for the more equitable and creative much love to the people peace hello friends it's kiss here I've recently been trying to step my fashion game up, and the look that I've kind of settled on is Spy on his day off. So, like, they got the turtleneck, I got, like, the nice coat over it, the leather gloves. Like, I spent all day, like, fighting the KGB, but I'm taking the afternoon off. If that's the look that you've got going on, or you just want to be in a Spy-inspired themed restaurant, the Safe House inspires you to experience Chicago's number one spy-themed bar and restaurant located in the heart of River North. Your next late-night mission should include a stop at the Safe House. You can sip on giant, shareable cocktails, dance the night away to our live DJ, and exit through the top-secret laser maze. Name Chicago's most Instagrammable restaurant. That's an interesting Yelp category. Don't miss out on the fun every Friday and Saturday night. For more info, visit safehousechicago.com.